Hi, my name is Jameson. Welcome to the Unexpected Experts Podcast, a show where we dive into the vast spectrum of human knowledge and the ways that our experiences make us experts in unexpected ways. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Unexpected Experts. Uh, this week, I've got a very, very good friend of mine on. Her name is Desiree Arthur. She is um, honestly my big sister. I love this woman to death, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear this great chat that I had with her. Uh, we talk about all the various jobs that she's done and all the various places that she's lived and traveled and even some of her experiences um, as a black woman growing up in Canada and all the stuff that she's had to face with that too. So it's a beautiful conversation. I'm really excited for you guys to all hear it. And if you enjoy this episode, let me know what you love about it. Send me a message on Instagram or um, email me at unexpectedexperts at gmail.com or better yet, leave me a review over on iTunes. It really helps people find the show and it lets me know what you all love about the show. So anything and everything that this audience can do to help me grow and improve this show is always appreciated so thank you all in advance for that um it's kind of cool looking at some of the analytics from downloads i can see where people are listening from all over the world i've got people listening from spain and people all over the states and um it's it's really cool to see how far reaching already this show has become so um let me know where you're all listening from and, uh, and and what I can do to help serve you all better as well. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for listening and for sharing this episode and other episodes with friends, family, whatever. Um, it really helps the show grow and helps other people just discover it and hear these great conversations. So anyway, um, I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Des. And uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Unexpected Experts. This week, I have my very, very good friend, Desiree Arthur, on the show. Um, Des is a proud Canadian, Calgarian musician and black woman of Bajan descent, Hala. Uh, she's worked in a number of different positions and fields over a lot of years more in the administration kind of pocket. And currently she's a voice teacher uh, here in Calgary with the New West Music Academy and is the executive director and in her words, boss babe of the whole <laughs> of the whole rig. Um, she's one of my best friends and I'm so thrilled to have her on this week. Des, welcome to Unexpected Experts. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. Well, it's been a long-awaited talk <laughs> that we've been waiting for. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad we could make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the first, the first question that I've been asking lately is, um, what is, and I, I know that there's a lot of history and a lot to your story, mm -hmm. um, which we, we can definitely get into. But my first question is, uh, what is your superhero origin story? <laughs> I think oh you've seen, <laughs> I think you've seen enough superhero movies and are, yeah, unfortunately, well, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> um, but what, what would be like a little five minute or so just history on who you are? History of who I am. 
I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and then my parents decided to move from Winnipeg to Yellowknife. Don't know why they did that, because they were from the Caribbean, Barbados. So that was a shocker. Most people are like, you want more snow? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Especially, it's like, what? So well, we like moved- they, they don't call it winter peg for no reason oh, out there. It would. I lived through some serious winter pegs. And then we moved to Yellowknife, and I thought I was going to die. Going to die. Yellowknife was an experience. If you ever have a chance to go to Yellowknife, it is yeah. 100% worth it because it is the most beautiful land, uh, beautiful indigenous land. Being able to be a part of the community and be local and invest and get to see. And I experienced so much because of the school that I went to. They share a lot about the indigenous land that we're on, the Ninevites. And everything is you get to learn a lot about the land that you're being on, that we were guests, that we're not people that own it. Right. And how old were you when you moved from Winnipeg up to Yellowknife? Um, it was just after my brother was born. So I believe I was seven. Okay. So So pretty young. Yeah, pretty young. Stayed there till I was about 10, 10 or 11. And then after living Yellowknife, my dad got accepted to the University of Calgary to do his master's. So packed up the whole family and we drove from Yellowknife all the way to Calgary. Wow. Yep. In like a 19... 82 van, like 15 passenger van. It was brown and beige. (laughs) Ugliest thing ever, but we love that van. Even like the old school 70 seats and everything. It was the best van. And we drove down as a family. That's crazy. Yeah. It was a really cool thing. That would be a heck of a drive. Like you could drive across probably a few European countries (laughs) in that length of a drive, you know? It it took (laughs) us several days, probably like four or five days. Wow. Got to read a lot of books because there was no thing called tablets back then. It was like, no, we played games, my brother and I, or if we were like fighting too much, we created our own little tents and our seats and you read books for hours at on end. Books and I spy (laughs) <laughs> Seriously, or you just slept. Let's yeah, be honest. I slept enough. a lot that trip down to Calgary. Yeah. And then we've been in Calgary since 1989. Wow. 1989. That's wow. when we moved here and have been here ever since. Yeah. So, so 32 years, I guess. Yep. Yeah, 32. Yeah. So Calgary Man, is home. That's awesome. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And so I've been here ever since and got to travel and see the world. Lots of travel. Yep. But. I absolutely love living in Calgary. Every time I go away and move away or just travel and be gone for weeks on end, coming to Calgary, you're flying in, you see the mountains in the horizon and that Calgary skyline. It's like, uh, I'm home. So I have a feeling I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. I don't Mm. think I'll be gone for very long if I ever move. That's legit. And Mm. I know you've moved around a bunch, like to a few different places too. Mm -hmm. Um, So when, when you came to Calgary, then you just went to school and then you graduated school. And then what was, what was the, uh, the superhero origin story after all of that? <laughs> My superhero. <laughs> I don't even know what. Or top... supervillain, whichever you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a love of Disney villains. It's kind of my thing. Here we go. Um, oh, I love me some Ursula. I was going to say. Ursula. Like, yeah. <laughs> so a few years ago for one of our spring concerts, Des did a solo for, um, yeah, for one of the concerts. Yeah, Poor Unfortunate Souls. Yeah, Poor Unfortunate Souls from The Little Mermaid. Yeah, and it's one of and those songs. Ursula, and it was, 
It was top shelf. It's hard to get into character of that. It's like, when was I ever a sea witch? You know, it's like, how do I identify with this character and portray it? But, you know, you just dig in deep and you get to poor unfortunate souls. Oh, yeah. You know, you just get gritty with it. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Graduated university. Well, let's just say I took a side trip with university years. Went to college, you know, kind of got kicked out because my grades were so low. So I decided to go do an internship in... Toronto and then I was out in Toronto for a while and then my friend was getting married in PEI so I went to PEI Wow! and then people in Ottawa were like come stay with us so I went and stayed in Ottawa for a couple weeks <laughs> and then my grandfather was like okay you've had enough come see me in Barbados went to Barbados for two months yeah. stayed with my grandfather back to the motherland right just yeah. hang out and then my grandmother was also sick at the same time and then I'm like okay I'm missing home so I finally made my way back home so I was gone for six months wow and then that's when I, when I came back, I had a friend who was like, I'm going to Rocky Mountain College. You would love the music program. The director is really cool, a.k.a. Henrik Ederstrom at the time. Yep. And she convinced me to go to college. And that, that's where it all began, this like career of music. Because the music program was intense at the time. And you just go and do this program. You dive in deep. It graduated. You get the, right immersed into right? it. Yeah. Right. You graduate with a B.A. in church music. The Church music part's not really helping me, but, you know, the B.A. in music part's <laughs> helping me. <laughs> but I mean, you've done some work in churches, too, a little bit. I've never actually worked in a church. I only did my internship. I guess at a church. I'm thinking like when you were like working in the studio at the church here in Calgary. Yes. But we like were music studio. It was the Center Street Music Academy at the time when we were yeah. involved. We were in Center Street. But we actually weren't involved in Center Street other than worship. So we weren't actually employees of the church. So we could still kind of do whatever we wanted. (laughs) It sounds really bad when I say that. (laughs) But we just didn't have to adhere to all like the strict rules and everything, the conduct and everything. Not that we were bad people, all of us teachers. It's just, you know, we could live life. Yeah, totally. But then going to school, going to Rocky, what was... Okay, what was maybe the initial decision to go to Rocky? What did that look like for you? Ooh, it was because my friend was in the EDGE program. She's like, you need to come here. It's great people, great friends. And she was a dear friend. So I thought, ah, it's either me sitting around my mom's house or go to school. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and so why, why music? Like, what was the initial decision for music? Well, versus I had maybe I... other programs that they have there. Okay. Well, let's be honest, at the time, Rocky didn't have the best programs that would interest me. I didn't want to be a pastor or a counselor or anything that just didn't interest me at all. And the EDGE program, I thought I was too old for it because at the time I was already 21 when I started. So I was already kind of like at that graduation age when I started. Yeah. So and I had started a diploma in music at the previous school that I went to, which will not be named. That I got kicked out of. (laughs) And yeah, I was able to transfer all these credits and which made, I was like, oh, maybe I'll graduate early. Oh no, 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 no. Still four and a half years later is when I graduated. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's my passion. It's my love. It's what I'm intensely good at. I can dive in and I'm, I take it seriously and I improve myself with music. I try to every single year, try to, you know, move forward and grow as a musician. 
I don't believe in being stagnant as a magician. I believe that you've got to keep moving forward because that's what keeps you fresh and it makes music interesting when yeah. you grow and you move forward. Well, and there's always something to learn. Always. 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 Whatever instrument, whatever facet you're in, if you're in the production side or if you're in the performance side or especially in the vocal side, like the voice is always changing and growing and developing. Mm-hmm. So you have to grow and change and develop with it. Exactly. And learn new skills, learn new techniques and keep your chops up and all mm-hmm. that. And not even just that, the business side of it. Totally. It's yeah. like you want to be a person that gigs, you still got to know the business side yeah. of how to be a musician. So Rocky was the best decision I ever made. Because hmm. I met lifelong friends, you included, even though we never went to Rocky together. Yeah, yeah we were separated by a few years, but for sure. because of Rocky, that's how we got to know each other. Yeah. So yeah. I have and some of the... connections. Exactly. Yeah. I have some of the best friends, best... Bestest friends? <laughs> I just, Better than best friends. Best friends. No, yeah. just amazing people that I have met that's connected me through that. And because of Rocky and going to university... I've met people at Center Street and some of those people from Center Street, I'm still great friends with now, Mm. you know, 20 years later, I'm friends with all these people. So for me, it feels like Rocky was where I was supposed to be. I was there at the right time and I was meant to be there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the platform that launched you just into the rest of your life. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It really was because I even had like, oh my goodness, I think I had at one time four jobs while attending school to put myself through school. Wow. All these different part-time jobs just to help me, you know, pay for life, pay for everything. That's crazy. I (laughs) I don't know how I did it, but it's just like when you either get jobs or you go put yourself twenty more thousand dollars in debt. And I wasn't about going to do that. You know, student loans were hard at that time. School was really expensive. Especially when you're going to a private Christian college. Totally. Yeah. It's super expensive. So you're like, okay, I got to cut my expenses somewhere, you know, and books are costing you, you know, $2,000 for the semester. You're like, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. just the textbooks, let alone actually sitting in the classroom. I know. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Yeah. And being a music student wasn't cheap either, you know, yeah. having to pay for lessons. Yeah. I remember at the time I was paying $1,700 a semester for voice lessons. And people are like, excuse what? And it's like, this is the level that, this is how much it costs at the yeah. level that I'm at. So I had to take it super seriously, 14 hours a week practice, which is insane. Don't know how I had time with four jobs, had time to practice and do homework. Oh, and then choir on top of that. And sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't sleep much. (laughs) A lot of all-nighter papers, but it was a good life. Sleep time supplemented by coffee consumption. Yeah. And a lot of espresso beans. Yeah. (laughs) Chocolate covered espresso beans. (laughs) I support that. I support that. We did that a lot. Yeah. It was a good life being at Rocky and being a musician, having that life. Cause you're, you're just dreaming. You're like, where am I going to be? And then I graduated and reality hit me in the face. I ended up working at, uh, an insurance company in their claims department after university. I'm like, kind of like the opposite of anything (laughs) music related. And so incredibly boring. Like how did, how did that happen? Like you finished school, you graduate, were you looking for the music jobs or did it, uh, did it just happen that this opportunity opened up? Like how did that all work out? I came back from tour. You know, we always did a tour after we're done school. So came back from tour. It was probably like mid, mid June, I guess. when we got back looking for a job. 
nothing out there, you're like, well, you got to pay the bills. Yeah. Applied for jobs and got a job at an insurance company. I mean, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to get by. And that's what I did. You know, I don't think I did any musical jobs probably for the first five or six years out of university. I did not use my degree at all. Were you doing music on the side at all in any capacity or was or was that kind of put on the shelf for a little bit? No, I was singing at Center Street Church in okay. the choir and I was on worship team. I was still doing that, still involved that way, but that was it. I wasn't doing anything else. And to me, that's very minimal considering that I had, I think I was burnt out with music. Right? Sure, yeah. After like living it, eating, sleeping and breathing it for four and a half years. Yeah. And then you're on a choir tour for 21 days, stuck in a bus with people that you're like, I just spent the entire year with you. I don't want to spend no more time with you, but you had to. So I think I was just kind of done with music for a while. I'm like, let me just enjoy normal life. And I traveled a lot. I worked to travel. That's what I did for the first, Mm. I'd say seven or eight years of being out of university. I worked to travel and that's all I did. I just traveled. I didn't care about anything else. I just needed to go see the world and just enjoy everything that was around me because I wasn't married, wasn't dating anybody. So I'm just, well, it's not like I could date anybody when you're not even here. Yeah, when you're traveling around, it makes it a little difficult. I mean, it's doable, but it makes it difficult. Yeah, so a lot of my friends were like, do you even live here anymore? I'm like, yes, I do live here. But it was the best time of my life. It's like, this is home base, but I'm just hitting all the other bases right now. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It was incredible. I know you've also worked in some other corporate type world places too. Like um, we work, well, you worked at a a little aviation a, uh, engineering firm. Engineering firm for yeah, like aviation, aviation. yeah. Because yeah. I I remember you getting me a little gig there, just <laughs> helping move boxes and like doing some organization over a few days or so. Like, yeah. We're what other? Boxes. So how long were you at the insurance company then? Ooh, the boredom only lasts so long. Um, <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> right? That's fair. I think I maybe lasted a year. Okay. I think it was about a year because I just, the boredom, I couldn't, it, truly, looking at crash pictures all the time, you're just like, you can't, okay, now you got to get up and file, you know, these 50 claims. It's just not, not what I was set for this world. I was not set on this yeah. earth to to do claims. And some people are built for that kind oh, of thing. Oh, yeah. And that's And good on hard, you because we yeah. need people like you and yeah. <laughs> I am I just not it. it. <laughs> I support it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I worked in an aviation engineering firm. I also, where else did I work? Oh boy. Retail. I've always worked retail. It's always been in there. Worked at the Jack Singer concert hall at at some point. No way. Yeah. I was an usher. That's how I got to see, that's how I got to see all these different acts for free because I worked. That's so cool. Yeah. I had a friend that I used to work with and he had a, a little side gig working at the Saddle Dome. And so he would see all these big, big concerts every once in a while. Whenever he was working and he was working out those nights, he would go and see like crazy big concerts down at the Dome. I'm like, dude, so jelly. Like, yeah. that would be so cool. Yeah, I got to see Michael Buble and we're all like down the change room. We're like, wow. who's this Michael Bubbly guy? And it was literally, <laughs> and that was so funny. We all called him Bubble yeah. or Bubbly at the yeah. time. Which is funny because that's like his ad campaign exactly. for the Bubbly soda exactly. water. Exactly, like, that's so funny. That's what I was like. Water. 
that's funny. We were calling him this like how many years ago? That's awesome. And it was because he was brand new. He was first time in Calgary. Nobody had really heard of him. Right. I remember standing there near one of the stage doors. I was super close. And I was like, this guy's going to blow up the world. Because he was so incredibly good. That's cool. So good. And that's kind of, for me, that was one of the moments where it's like, what are you doing? This person is living their dream. This is Mm. living their passion. Why are you an usher watching? You should be like on stage. You should be just diving in deep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's when I just like, okay, life change, changing jobs, you know, and working. And I did end up um, at the aviation engineering firm. And I've also worked um, environmental consulting company. That's another place. It's kind of like the corporate stepping around. I did working for senior VPs and executive directors and working for some crazy high up guys. Let me tell you, as a woman, as a black woman, it was hard to be in any of those businesses because it was the boys club. Yeah, I have never in my life experienced the boys club than working in these industries, especially engineering. They look down on anybody who is not a white male. And I hate saying that, but this particular group of guys, it wasn't fun. Yeah. And I I saw some of the the small little interactions like at this um, engineering firm that some of these guys had with you. And I'm like, is this actually what's happening in front of my face? These guys are treating my friend so very poorly. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. But that... I'm I'm watching Mad Men right now. Yeah. On uh, on Amazon, and it's wild. Like that show was set in the '60s, and the whole working environment back then was very much like the men are the ones in charge, and they run the whole joint, and the ladies are the ones in the bullpen in the middle of the office, and they're yeah. the ones running around and, you know, getting, like running papers everywhere, and like they're the secretaries that are there to serve the men. Yep. And the whole society. Um, the way it like went into the homes too, like it was, it's wild to see that kind of dramatized and like actually played out. Um, but man, I can't believe, like, I can't even imagine what it would be like to, and this is me speaking as like a white dude. Mm -hmm. Um, I cannot imagine what it would be like to be a woman in a professional environment like that, let alone being a black woman Mm -hmm. in a professional environment like that like the intersection of those two things. Yeah, it was an interesting job. I was actually, because you you know me, I love to crack jokes and be funny and oh, yeah. be, you know, this bubbly person. That job I at the time broke me because my boss walked up to me one day and said, you know what, you need to stop being so bubbly. You need to stop joking with the guys. Seriously. Because the guys, just because we're so stressed out and so you know, this was life and death, this job. And it's like, no, it's not. You know, there's so much more to this life than yeah, to this yeah. job. And I'm trying to bring joy and life to the to the office. And I was told, no, 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 you can't joke with the guys. Don't crack jokes. I've never in my life been told that. That's ridiculous. And when I was told that, I'm like, it's time for me to get a new job. Yeah. And it was I mean, I think there were a few other things happening there too, but <laughs> there's a lot of other things, which we won't get into, but there was a lot of things, There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of things. Yeah. And funny enough, when I actually did quit, when I put my two weeks in, it was during the two weeks that our dear friend, Judy Yamamoto called me up and said, Hey, do you want to be a voice teacher? And I'm like, uh, yeah. Cause I kind of need a job. Yeah, She's like, hello. yeah, we've got some students that need a teacher and you are more than qualified to teach. And that's what I did. 
I stepped away from my high paying, you know, executive assistant job, office manager job and became a teacher, dropped my salary to about a quarter of what it was worth, but I've never been happier in my life. Mm. I went from being miserable to actually being happy with what I was doing and what I was contributing to this world. And it actually mattered instead of me going over proposals that, you know, it's like millions of dollars being thrown at airports that it's like, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the one job change that I made that made the most difference was from going from that to this. People even said, wow, I see a difference in you. I see how happy or what happened. I'm like, oh, I quit my job. (laughs) People like, you're happy because you quit your job? Oh, yeah. Toxic environment. Yeah. And became a teacher, which has, that was 12 years ago. Oh, 12, 11, 12 years ago. Wow. And it was the biggest joy of my life. I've been teaching for that long. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Like going from such a, and I know that we hear stories about this all the time. Like people give up the big paycheck for the thing that provides them with joy and fulfills them and fills their soul. Like, um, but there's, it's like an exchange of energy in one way. Mm-hmm. Like exchanging the energy of, of a high stress, but also high paying job for something that actually fills your soul and energizes you that way. And maybe you're not getting paid as much, but um, the the return on like your emotional investment almost is way better. Oh, it definitely is. Definitely yeah. is. Like I look at my, like, like I look at right now, I'm still teaching. Right. Yeah. And in a pandemic, no right less. in a pandemic, I'm still <laughs> teaching. Yes, people, we yeah. are still teaching. It's happening. Uh, and in person even, yeah, we're still teaching. And most of last year we were in person and I didn't realize that seeing my students in person brought me joy mm. compared to the ones that were online. And they would just be like, Miss Des, I wish we could see you in person because they're whatever, whatever reasons they were online with me, but teaching students, teaching this next gen, next generation to have a love and appreciation and a passion for music and being able to push them in the right way into like, they may not do the, they may not be like me where their career is music, but at least if they have this passion for it, that they'll be able to be on the worship teams. They'll be able to pick up their guitar or pick, play the piano for their grandparents when they're sick or ill or just bring joy to like, their kids later on in life, yeah. whatever it is. Or, you know, pick up a little side gig or do a guest appearance on an album that a friend of theirs is putting exactly. together. Whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe they're supposed to take that passion for when they have kids because their kids are supposed to be that next generation mm, of, yeah. you know, musicians that really make an impact. The fact that I'm planting those seeds now, that brings me more joy than anything else. Anything else. Like you don't ha- realize what music actually does to a person. It just makes you a well-rounded human being. Granted, I fully believe in kids doing sports and doing their academics. Like sure. I am a yeah. firm believer. Like if the, my kids in my studio have too much homework, I'm not going to pile on more homework for them. I'm be like, look, I understand you've got homework. Here, play this song. Find joy in playing this one song this week. Yeah, and come back with it next week and yeah. tell me how, how. How take that moment, go play that song during your busy time tell me, did it help? And they always come back with yes. Being able to step away and play a song and immerse myself in music and the creativity helped me with my schoolwork. Yeah. Or even just using it as an escape 
or to like distract exactly. yourself or put your mind on something else. And exactly. Listen to a good piece of music. If it's a piece of music that you really like singing and practicing in the studio, then you can always listen to it at home. Or you can listen to the discography of that artist and get more acquainted with their artistic style and all of that. Like there's so much mm-hmm. to be said for the power that music can have to like shape your mood in a given moment. Not even to shape your mood, shape who you are. Yeah, yeah. It shapes me. I just remember who I was back in college. I'm a different person because I'm sleeping, eating, and breathing it in a healthy way. I don't think I was living it in a very healthy way in college because it was just like cram it down your throat so you can graduate. Get me the heck out of here. Right. And again, like there's value in that for sure. totally. Like the education side of music is, is tough and it's stressful and it eats up a lot of time and... You got to do all that stupid music theory and music history homework. And then you got to practice and then you got to practice your piano and your, yeah. all of it. Like, yeah, the stress is real <laughs> for sure. <laughs> the struggle is real. Come on now. Come on, somebody. But I look back at that and I think, you know what? All the professors that I have and funny enough, some of them are still in my life to yeah. this day. I can now see why they pushed me in the way that they did back then. Because it does make a difference to have that foundation. Mm-hmm. It really does. Because I've had so many students ask me all these questions and I'm like, uh, oh, I actually know this. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go back into my recesses of my mind and pull that back from like 20 years ago. Yeah. But it's just so important. So important. It just makes you such a such a well-rounded person. Yeah. yeah. I love what you said too about music being essential for just development and um, that everyone should take music lessons of some kind or mm-hmm. something. I feel the same way about retail, honestly. And you and I have both worked retail jobs. Oh, yeah. Like we know the stresses of working in retail, Ooh. especially during Christmas time oh, or whatever. I don't miss that. <laughs> I don't miss it. And like, I'm in a different area now, but um, still kind of in a retail customer facing role, but in a different capacity with like shipping mm-hmm. and mailing parcels all over the country. But um, I've always said like ever since I worked in clothing retail, I've always mm-hmm. said like one job that people should always have, that people should have as a standard is some kind of retail job. Yes. Because it just gives you such an appreciation for the for that type of industry. Yes. And, and what these people actually go through on a daily basis. Yeah. Like people coming in on Boxing Day and... <laughs> grabbing a whole stack of t-shirts, <laughs> grabbing the large on the bottom, yeah. wrecking the whole pile. Yeah. And then you got to sit there for 15 minutes folding up all these shirts again, only to turn around and somebody's doing the same thing you just fixed. Exactly. Like, come on. It definitely <laughs> teaches brutal. you patience beyond patience. Yeah. And learning like just that one-on-one skill with people. It's like, you might not like this person, but guess yeah. what? You've got to deal with them. So guess what? You got to suck it up and you've got to put on your smile and you, be it, you know, kill them with kindness. Yeah. I say that all the time to people. I'm like, kill them with kindness because it doesn't pay to be rude or mean or anything. No, totally. Kill them with kindness because you walk away feeling better and you're not carrying that with you for the rest of the day either. Yeah. And just like, don't be a turd to people in retail. Like right? they're just as much people as the rest of us are. Oh my goodness. Like you would not believe. Yeah. It's rough. Oh, I, you could not pay me to go back to retail. <laughs> well, not, especially with Christmas coming. Nope. Not a chance. Nope. I love yeah. them dearly. I try to treat them all with respect, but I could never work in retail again. Yeah. Knock on wood. 
But again, like you've gotten the appreciation for that industry, and so mm -hmm. you know how to be a good customer, mm -hmm. right? And I think a lot of people just haven't developed that skill. Nope, they have you know? not. Nope. Nope, not at all. Um, I would love to talk about, um, I know one thing that you have a lot of value on and one thing that you have always placed such a big importance on is travel. And um, we've had the opportunity in the last few months to do a bunch of traveling. Like mm -hmm. we did a little road trip up to Edmonton and we did a road trip out to Banff and we flew out to Montreal and spent a few mm -hmm. days out there with a friend of ours. And yeah. um I would love to hear maybe about some of the places that you've been, highlights from some of those places, and maybe what travel has done to broaden your experience and your perspective on the world. Hmm. Okay, you ready for the list that I've been? Come on, let's go. Whew, I've seen <laughs> most of Canada, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, ton of Ontario, uh, Quebec, Maritimes have been to PEI. I've been all the only I haven't been to Newfoundland or, or um, Labrador. I haven't been that that far yet, but I've seen most of Canada, and that's why I'm such a proud Canadian. Well, and the Yukon, like you yes. lived in the Yukon for a while. Well, I know I lived in the Northwest Territories. Or Northwest Territories. Yes. I always forget, like the Yellowknife is not in Yukon, exactly. but the Y at the beginning always throws exactly. me off. Exactly. But yes, Yellowknife. Yes. Um, I haven't been to the Yukon actually. I would love to. I'd love to go to Whitehorse. Um, yeah, I'm just such a proud Canadian and the beautifulness of our country. Like, yeah. if you haven't seen our country, now's the time to do it. While, like, borders aren't so, doing so great, I mean, Albertans can't go anywhere. But <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Biden. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. I mean, fair enough, I suppose. Kenny's not been doing well with this, but we don't need to make this a political podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I've seen this country and... We are so blessed to live in such a beautiful, yeah. diverse country. Oh my goodness. So beautifully diverse. And I love it. Um, I've been to different places in the States. You know, I've been to California. I've been down the West Coast, you know, Seattle, Portland. You know, I've been into Texas. Have I been to Texas? No, only to the airports. <laughs> Sorry, Texas. Um, Arizona. <laughs> like, I've been to the airport in Toronto three times and I've never actually been to Toronto. <laughs> you got to do Toronto. I know Pearson cool. International pretty well, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's becoming a little cool hub. Yeah. Um, I've been it. I lived in New York and Connecticut for a while. Yes, you did. Um, yeah. Traveled a little bit around there. You know, I got to see Cape Cod and Boston um, Philadelphia, like some really cool places in the States. I've traveled like to Washington and I think Minnesota too, like just all over the place in the States. I still have a lot more to see, Yeah, but it's the Europe trips that have been what have sat on my heart. And yeah, I feel that. Yeah. It just, something about going to Europe just sits and it takes a hold, a piece of your heart and you leave it there and you're like, man, I got to go back. I've been to Okay, let's say in England, Scotland, Wales, um, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, um, Germany, Amsterdam, Luxembourg, Belgium. You were in Paris two years ago? I was ago. just in France. I had yeah. been to France previously, but I hadn't been to Paris. And that's all I've seen of Europe. I do plan on going to Italy, Spain, and Greece at mm, some point, yeah. the south of France. You know, I'd love to like go into a little bit of Eastern Europe, 
you know, the Czech Republic maybe or Prague or, you know, but always depends on how, how are things going politically, unfortunately. Yeah, totally. And how well, and safe with COVID things too, are. Like we got to right? keep that in mind in the next few years. Like right? However, that's going to unfold. Right? And of course, nobody knows. But Nobody knows anything. So those are yeah. on my bucket list. And of course, I'd really love to go to Australia and New Zealand. I've got a dear friend who's living in Australia and she's wanted to come meet, have me visit. And then all this happened. It's like, well, yeah. It might be a few years before I get to see you again, you know. You know, I haven't, and I've and lately I really want to see Singapore. For some reason, it mm. just... Ever since I saw Crazy Rich Asians, <laughs> I've wanted to see Singapore. <laughs> Seems like it's pretty posh. A little it, bit, yeah. It's like, mm, I think I might be able to afford like two nights in Singapore, <laughs> then I've got to leave. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right? It just, yeah. I really want to see this beautiful world, but the places that have really stuck with me were Paris. Paris, I don't know what it was about it, but it just just brought it was just so calm for me. It, it was the sense of calmness. Hmm. Um being in Scotland, oh my goodness, Scotland is the most beautiful country. It truly is. Really? When they say green rolling hills, yeah. it is a green that we don't have here. It is a different shade of green yeah. and I can just close my eyes and I can envision the green rolling hills when I was there in the spring, it was just so incredibly beautiful. Yeah, like we have pine trees and prairie grass. Like <laughs> it's beautiful in its own way, yeah. but it's not that like deep lush no. type of green. Just like, Oh, with the sheep on the horizon. It's like mm. just, it's so cool. And then of course, London, London will always have a piece yeah. in my heart. I'm there with you. I've been there twice. Still not enough. I got to go back and do it do some more. Yeah. Those are my, some of my favorite European countries. But I mean, I'm forgetting one. Gothenburg, Sweden. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, you said Sweden in there, but yeah, yeah. But one of my favorite places is Gothenburg, Sweden. It just I had I have some really great memories. Mm. That was on a, with the tour with Rocky, and at the time it was called Rejoice. We did a six week tour across Europe. Sweden, probably one of my favorite on that trip. That's for sure. Did a lot of sightseeing. Don't remember a lot because it was a blur. Ate a lot of food. I ate a lot of chocolate. <laughs> Thank you, Belgium. I'd be disappointed if you didn't. <laughs> right? It was just like, yeah, worth the money. If you ever have a chance to travel, travel has just made me into a person that appreciates culture. So now when I go, I don't want to be a tourist. I like to go into the, you know, off the beaten path and try to be a local, go to a local place, see how people are living their everyday mm, lives. Yeah. And it gives you an appreciation not only for that city, but it's for its people and what has made them become them, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. we did that quite a bit when we were in Montreal. We just are like, let's go to this place, you know, and it's completely off the beaten path and it's all locals. Just, I just find that traveling makes you appreciate and respect other people more mm. because everybody comes from somewhere different. They're not like you. And you have to learn that you need to put yourself aside and just humble yourself and just be like, I need to learn about this person. I need to kind of put myself in their shoes and embrace their culture instead of trying to impose your culture on them. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And travel is just amazing. I, oh, I couldn't agree more. I've been traveling yeah. since I was, I think, two weeks old. <laughs> I was, I was wow. born premature, a month premature. And I think one of my uncles was getting married. My mom's like, perfect. She's out. We're going on a plane. Because when she was pregnant, she couldn't take me. She couldn't go. But now that I came come early, 
And I was in Barbados for like three weeks afterwards. Wow. Yeah. So that's the coolest thing that so I were started young, real young. <laughs> My parents took me traveling. They're like, if anything, go into Barbados all the time to see family. Mm-hmm. And we went to see, see my uncle in New Jersey, got to visit him a lot. So I've been to New York. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think I've been to New York about 30 times in my life. Cause it started when I was a kid. Wow. My parents took me all the time. Wow. And then as an adult, I've gone to New York and then now, especially cause Henrik Edestrom, he's the director, the musical director of new West symphony and chorus. Yep. Who was also the same director at Rocky when you were there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he was living in New York, well, in Connecticut and had a group in New York. And I did my, I did a late term, I call it a late term internship with him. It was just only a couple of years ago, just to like reset my life, kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And I got to hang out with him in New York and live in New York and Connecticut and kind of enjoy the culture. Yeah. And become a local in exactly. a way. Totally. And find my own little local places within New York and all the little fun shops that I like to go to. People are like, oh, let's, no, 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 no. I need to go to my little places. See you later. You can do the touristy thing. I've done it already. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love that, that whole idea about um, just getting into other people's shoes. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that we just don't have a lot of. Not um, at all. And our society doesn't really equip us for that type of, um, yeah, perspective on people's lives. Like when I went to to Amsterdam, that was a really cool experience. Uh, being able to go to that type of a city that is so culturally prominent, mm-hmm. um, and just sit on the side of a canal and have a a beer, and you just watch and you listen and you soak it all in, right? Like you're yeah. you're there in such a central hub of culture, and I mean the same in New York. Or the same in London, or the yeah. same in Montreal. Like these places are just incredible. Um, but then also on that same trip, like after going to Amsterdam, I went up to like the northeast of Holland, where my Oma was born, and where yeah. she's from, and where her and my Opa got married. And I saw the church they were married in, and so it was cool. so cool to see the place that like my people are from. You know, to see to actually be in the place where my roots are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of my favorite parts about our trip to Montreal was I think that second morning when we were there and I went off to a coffee shop and I think you were doing your own thing and I just went off to do my own thing and I just Mm -hmm. sat in this coffee shop for like two hours and I had a book with me and I was crushing the book but then I would stop every once in a while and just sit and watch and listen and take in another city you know sitting in this coffee shop that was in this really old building mm-hmm. next to the Notre Dame Basilica, being able to like hear the church bells in the square <laughs> as I was reading my book and sipping a coffee. There's there's nothing more like humbling, I think, to sit in a place like that, um, to just steep yourself in the culture and in the surroundings. Yeah, exactly. um, But then also to realize how small of a cog you are in the machine of humanity too. Oh, it makes you just appreciate what you've just dropped yourself into. Yeah. To look around into sights and sounds and smells like yeah. it's just awe-inspiring. Especially if you're in a country that doesn't speak your native language yes. either. <laughs> but the funny like, thing is being in Montreal, which is in our country. Totally, yeah. And, but yet they're so much older than Calgary is. Calgary is such a baby compared yeah. to Montreal. And just the culture. And the, like I was telling you when we were there, it feels like we're in Europe. Yeah. feels like yeah. we're like in London or Paris, like 
just some of the cobblestone streets. And you're just like, this is crazy how this it's feels. Beautiful. Like we've been stepped outside of our country and we're in a different country. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's like, no, this is still Canada. Yeah. I love this country. To, to, to walk on those streets and to sort of feel the history there too. I really had that experience when we were in London. Mm-hmm. Um, walking around that city on like cobblestone streets. And I remember walking past this big statue of somebody. It was a big metal statue. And I looked on the side of this thing and it was all stone, but there were old bullet holes in the Mm. side of this thing from the World War. And they were all painted over, but you could still see the indents of where these bullets had gone into this thing. I'm like, this is history. Like we are walking through history. There was a war that happened here. Like people died and fought here in this city for whatever whatever reason but that was a really interesting moment to be in such a vibrant eclectic old old city and to see that kind of thing that you would never see in Calgary oh, like we, don't, yeah. we don't have bullet holes littering the sides of monuments here like <laughs> that's not a thing but to see it there was was really humbling yeah, yeah. it just brings you back making me miss traveling oh I know oh someday <laughs> I'd love to talk about, if you're willing, um, the idea of being a black woman in Canada, um, in a country that is, I guess, historically and culturally very white, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. um, and whatever experience and perspective that being a black woman in Canada has given you. Hmm. Well, a lot of people... I'd say in the last year, like, oh, that doesn't really happen here, does it? It's like, oh, if you could only live a day in my shoes, Mm. you know? Um, Here's an example. I was visiting, I was away at someone's cabin and we decided to stop in, you know, and just do a little shopping in a cute little town. It's like somewhat touristy. So they get tourist people going through there all the time. And this particular day I was wearing designer clothes, had like, I was dressed pretty decently, wasn't like, you know, in sweats or anything. And I was with one of my Caucasian friends and walked into a store and the lady's like, hi, how's it going? Great, great. You know, we're just, you know, we're just taking a look, you know, wandering around. And all of a sudden I kind of noticed, oh, she's right by me. Okay, maybe she needs to do something in this area. And my friend, she was off at another area. And I'd moved to another area. And then all of a sudden, the sales lady's next to me. Anywhere I went in the store in that 20 minutes, this sales lady was next to me and wasn't with my friend at mm. all. And I was like, oh, you know, and she's not asking, oh, were you looking for something or anything? She was just conveniently fixing something that was ever around me. And I went to my friend and said, look, I'm going to leave the store. Like, mm. I'm just going to yeah. leave because she obviously thinks I'm there to steal or something, even though. I was dressed very professionally and, you know, cause you know, my style, you know, I was just yeah. dressed well and I left the store and my friend said, yeah, she finally started to talk to me after you left asking me how I was doing, but she stayed behind the counter while my friend kept shopping around the shop. And I was just kind of like, yeah. are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? And this only happened like a couple of years ago. And I'm just like, wow. It just, Stuff like that happens to me all the time. 
or I get snubbed or I get treated, you know, people don't want to deal with me. But I'm just like, no, I'm just asking you to give me a cup of coffee or I'm not being demanding or rude. I'm being nice. And that's where my kill it with kindness has come into play. Mm, right. Yeah. Many, many times I've wanted just to be just downright rude because they deserve it. But it's like, will that make it any better? In that moment, it might make it a little bit better for me. Yeah, and it might make you feel justified. Exactly. And make them feel feel like they've been taught a lesson exactly. in a way. Exactly. Yeah. But I just think if I kill it with kindness and I'm so nice to them, maybe, just maybe, the next black person they encounter, they're actually nicer to them. Mm. You know, because yeah. you reap what you sow. And so it's like, no, I'm going to make sure I am nice to this person. And even as a female working in, you know, as I call quote unquote boys clubs, you know, engineering firms or, you know, other corporate entities, it's like, I've just had, I feel like the standards were always slightly different for me. Even now, even now as a musician, even now as a director, any place in my life, I always feel that the rules are a little bit different for me, mm. that people expect a little bit more from me. They're like, oh, no, 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 honey, I'm sorry, but you got to be a little bit better than your, right. you know, like your you, predecessor. You got to turn down the blackness. Exactly. Right. And, and, and morph into what we need you to be in this white structure in this mm-hmm. system. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been hard and a lot of people don't believe that it's out there, but it's so out there, including the city of Calgary. Yeah. It is 100% here. People, just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. That's what I say. I'm like, because we all, unfortunately, every single one of us deals with some sort of prejudice. I'm sure, JMO, people have been like, oh, you're a redhead. Oh, don't want to deal with you or whatever. Totally. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, we all have our own little things. And I think people forget that. It, yeah, you hear about it down the States. It's happening here too. Yeah. It is a hundred and ten percent. We have our own flavor of it here too with the indigenous population. Oh my goodness. Yes. My goodness. Like, yes. of course, but it's, and I think I said this on a previous episode too, like I've got cousins that are black. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have three cousins that are adopted from Haiti mm-hmm. and you can't tell me that their experience is going to be the same as mine, you know? And they're growing up in a more rural, smaller yeah. town in Alberta. I feel for them. Like... My goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. And so I've just found that I have to have, my mom always taught me to ha- to be like a duck. Have have it just roll off your back. Mm. Don't let it stick to you. Just be strong. Take that step forward and be the bigger person in the situation. Don't drop yourself to another level so they can't use anything against you. I know yeah. it sounds like, I can't believe all this and it's controversy, but... Unfortunately, this is the life that I'm living and this is only my perspective. So even if you don't agree with it, it's fine. But this is life with my perspective. And sometimes life is not easy. Sometimes I get little side looks or, you know, comments, you know, and for a lot of the time, you know, I have also lost like so much weight over Mm -hmm. the last few years. Yeah. When I was a big black woman, let me tell you, whoo. Even worse, because I walk into a shop that I d- technically don't even fit into, and then you're a black woman. This is not your style, honey. You need to go somewhere else. It's yeah, like people are turning their noses up at you. You're like, who are you to tell me that I can't come in here looking? Like, maybe I'm looking for like jewelry for something, or maybe I'm looking for a friend. They said, oh, can you look for this at the store for me? It's like you don't know the reason why I'm there, so it's like back off. I'm. Will- it's kind of like the pretty woman. It's like, oh mm, no, no, sorry, yeah. sorry. 
you lost out. You lost out on commission or whatever because I was going to drop a bunch of money in here, but you're going to lose out. Yeah. So I have, and not even just me, my brother, I've, of course, my brother is a black male. Yeah. Both my brothers, uh, I call my cousin my brother, and they've even dealt with some stuff, you know, that I don't even deal with because I'm a female. So at least I get a small little pass. Right. Like I've told the story that my brother, he was walking to work because we worked, he worked close to where we lived. So he's walking to work at five o'clock in the morning to go open the gas station and some cops stopped him and said, show us your ID. So he like showed them his ID. They're like, you need to prove to us where you live. And he's like, I just left the house. I'm going to be late for work. They're like, we don't care. If you say you live there, go prove it. So this all happened when all of us were at home in bed. My, my brother had to bring the cops to the house, open the door, let them in. And they had to see that his picture was actually hanging in, hanging in the pictures in the house. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And we live in a very, my parents live in a very like, I would say upper middle class yeah, like neighborhood. Yeah, like a nice neighborhood. Like, yeah. they, like if you live in this neighborhood, you can afford a pretty decently priced house. And this is what's happening to my brother. <sighs> and after they left, I guess my mom got up and, you know, he was quite shaken up. because, And so she drove him to work, you know, and she was like, I'll drive you to work for the next little bit just yeah. to like, you know, make you feel that you can just walk to work. Yeah, seriously. And you get and he didn't have to walk far. No. Honestly, it was right down the hill right? where you it guys was lived. A, probably a 15-minute walk. Yeah. But he was just so shaken by that experience and wow. so I'm just like this happens. People, this happens. You know, that you know, you have to prove who you are. Yeah. I I couldn't even imagine and I was fast asleep upstairs. I had no clue what was going on. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I've heard similar stories too from one of my other friends that was on an episode. Um, he's a Filipino guy, grew mm-hmm. up in the Northeast, mm-hmm. and his whole story about um, being a Filipino guy in the two thousands when the big drug war was going on. Yep, and he likes his nice cars and he drives around in these nice cars. And so the amount of times that he would get pulled over just for being an Asian looking dude in a car. That doesn't look like was, that you can actually afford. Yeah. You're like, what? It's crazy. Like Do I the not level, work? the level of just discrimination that's kind of baked into the system, mm-hmm. and because of certain things that were happening in the city at the time, right? There's just a heightened awareness, yeah. or a heightened sense of maybe security, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, and I've I've never had to had to show my ID to a cop Hmm. to prove who I am or where I live. I've never been pulled over because of the color of my skin. Like there's a lot of things that I've never had to think about or deal with simply because of the color of my skin. And that is a privilege that I have as a white man. Yes. You've got so many more privileges because of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's why I'm thankful for the fact, I know this is going to sound really weird, but this is just how I think I'll share this. I'm thankful for the name that my parents gave me Mm. because when you see my name on a piece of paper, it doesn't look like a black name. Yeah. My last name is Arthur. My dad's side of the family is descendants of English an Englishman. So it, that plays for my favor now. And I'm like, you know what? Thank you to my ancestors that this last name came down, came down to us now because my brother's name it's the whitest name yeah. ever. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? That was probably a saving grace for him. Yeah. And same thing with me. We've got names and you see it on a piece of paper. You would never assume that we're black. Yeah. 
the same. There's another author that I I read her book. It was called I'm Still Here, and her name was um, Austin Channing Brown. And her mom gave her that name intentionally so that she wouldn't be turned away at job interviews. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's insane. The level of thought that has to go into that from a parent to name their child a certain name that sounds white. Mm-hmm. And she's a black woman and her first name is Austin. Mm-hmm. Like that is the whitest dude's name <laughs> right. other than like, I don't know, Steve or yeah. Kyle or <laughs> Philip, <Right. laughs> you know, exactly. but it was, it's crazy. Like reading her book and getting her experience or seeing her perspective as a black woman in the States too. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a whole different world too. Yeah. Um, but I know our mutual friend, Aza, yeah. out in Toronto, her mom decided to move to Toronto to get out of the States because of all the yeah. really oppressive racism that goes on down there. And Aza has had a heck of a time with it. Oh, yeah. Even in Toronto. And in Toronto is um, a good melting pot with diversity yeah. up like everywhere. But oh, yeah. yet it's very strong there. Yeah. I just realized as we're talking, even my parents had very white names. Oh yeah. My dad's name was Franklin. Yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy. We all had very white looking names. So on paper you would never know yeah, yeah. until you met us in person. It's like this and I haven't seen it, but I was talking about it with my, with my brother and sister-in-law the other day. There's this show called the circle mm-hmm. and there was, there's one season. Um, and again, like I haven't seen it. I wish I had seen it before us chatting now, but <laughs> there was somebody on the show that had CP, cerebral palsy. And I don't remember exactly the premise of the show, but essentially it's like a social networking type of thing that you don't have to identify who you are. You don't have to say that you're um, maybe, I don't know, a a middle-class single mom Mm -hmm. or you know, an older person like in their sixties or so, or you can, you can essentially put out there whoever you want to be. Um, and I, I don't remember what the goal of the show is, but there was this one person that was on there that had cerebral palsy and for his entire life, the first thing that people see is the canes that he's walking around with. Right. And they instantly make a snap judgment on him as a person when they see those canes. Mm -hmm. And, there was a point in the show where he was, he didn't identify or he didn't say off the top that he had cerebral palsy at all. Um, but he just, he played the game however it was played. And only at a certain point did he actually reveal that he had CP. And he said for him, it was the most powerful thing because he was able to choose mm-hmm. when to have that part of him be revealed. And I feel like that's sort of a similar thing with, even just having, I don't know, I guess a white passing name. Yeah. Really? Like, yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's funny you don't realize it until you're like, oh, yeah. Until you see the face, you know? Because it's funny enough, I was applying for like, a, like just a side hustle. And on this profile, I had to upload my picture. Yeah. I'm like, you can't just go off of my resume. You can't just read my resume. Why do you mm. need to see my picture? Yeah, yeah. To me, that seems discriminatory because... 
You're like, oh, well, that's what she looks like. Yeah. Is she pretty enough? Is she fit her mold? Oh, she fits her diversity belt. Ooh, we should like, you know. Yeah, Because totally. I've gotten that too. It's like, yeah. ooh, she fits the diversity thing. Well, let's just put her in there because she's well-spoken and, you know, she'll be that yeah. diversity. It's she like, makes no, us no, no. look more diverse and more exactly. accepting. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, please don't. No. That's such a tricky dynamic too, like in a workplace to have, to want to give voice to people of different ethnicities and all that. But then, yeah, you're like, you're tokenizing people in a way. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely tokenizing people. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just hire somebody because they're qualified for the job. Yeah. Um, and I felt yeah. like I've been the token person mm. in many areas in my life, like at school, in choirs, at church, yeah. on yeah. worship teams. I'm always just, oh, there's a token black girl. Oh, we know you because I'm the only person of color on stage. Of course you know me. Yeah. But I mean, things have changed over the last, you know, I'd say five years. But still, you know, to still be like that token. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because it feels like there's more pressure on me, you know, than anything else. And I try to break those molds and try to be not be different, but it's like, no, no, no. There are other areas to me. There are. Like when people see me, they're like, oh, you must sing. And when they ask, well, what's your favorite type of music to sing? They're like, it must be gospel music. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I can sing gospel R&B. But oh, here's something. I'm actually classically trained. Yeah. I sing classical music. And and you're a huge country music fan. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny because I'm not. And I'm supposed to be as the white dude. (laughs) And here's, okay, guys, here's what it is. I have been raised on country music. My dad was a farm boy. Yes, there are farms in Barbados, people. There are farms. And he loved country music. He loved Winona Judd. He loved the Judds. And, of course, he loved Whitney as well. I I grew up listening to Whitney and the Judds. The most diverse music in our house. Come on, somebody. But, and and he was a worship pastor, my dad, on the side. And right. so I also heard hymns. I heard everything growing up. Mm. It was a nice, I thought it was a nice balance, of, you know, of listening to, he loved Kenny Rogers. And, like, I would listen to, and Luther Vandross. I listened to everybody. So I feel that when it comes to music, I am definitely a little bit of a chameleon. Because mm. people are like, you sing classical music? I'm like... That's my degrees, actually. And that's what I majored in. Yeah. And I minored in jazz. Do people even know that, that I'm I'm really good at jazz? No, because they just see, oh, you're black. Mm, Gospel, R&B. Okay. Right. And they put you in a box. Yeah. There you go. You fit in that lowly level. And granted, I'm good at doing R&B and gospel. I have fun doing it. I love doing it. But that's not the only thing that's cool about me. Yeah. Okay. So one of my favorite bands, they're they're called Animals as Leaders. And they're a three-piece like instrumental progressive metal band. And I'm mm-hmm. a big metal head, as you know, yes. much to your chagrin <laughs> whenever you take a ride in the car and I've got the metal on, but that aside. Some of it's good. Some of it I can live without. Yeah. And some of it I put on selectively because I know that you don't like the screaming <laughs> <laughs> and I'll intentionally, put on, I'll intentionally put on something more melodic or with a lot more vocal, like singing instead of the aggressive bit. But Thank you. Um, but this band is, they're, they're a three-piece, and the guy that started the band, his name is Tosin Abasi, and his mm-hmm. whole family is Nigerian. And so he's obviously a black man, but he is an absolute guitar god. Like, the guy is unbelievable. He's he's kind of created his own style, and he's even, 
even used like slapping and thumping techniques on the guitar, stuff that you would normally see on bass, like he's mm-hmm. using on his guitar. And he has his own guitar company now. Um, it's insane what so this guy cool. has done. And he's such a proficient musician, but he's in that genre of metal, right? He's not playing jazz. He's not playing the blues. Like he's not B.B. Mm-hmm. King, right? right? He's up there with like Steve Vai mm-hmm. and these crazy like God tier level guitarists, right? But he's had to overcome a lot just because of his appearance on stage or in interviews or um, in the scene that he grew up in yeah. in the States. Like there was a lot of barriers that he had to overcome being a black man that wanted to play metal. Exactly. Which has been predominantly white males. 100%. Yeah. 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 I could only imagine the barriers he's breaking because he's going above and beyond. Yeah. Which is super cool in my mind. Yeah. That's why when you played their music, I was just like, okay, this guy's really talented. Yeah. Like super talented. And the three of them together are unbelievable. Like the other, the other guitarist in the band, his name is Javier and he's a, a Spanish, like a Latino guy. And again, like he's got his own side project as well called Mestis and it's just as good. And their drummer is the most insane beast drummer, like technically proficient he's unbelievable Mm -hmm. um but yeah the three of them together just make musical magic beautiful music they are really good yeah really really good yeah but again like it's it's about not letting your skin color like define you and that that's not the only part of who you are there's so much more to who you are exactly and i think i've said before too like i'm diabetic but i'm not that's not my identity it's just part of who i am exactly but having diabetes is kind of an invisible thing yes or having ADHD is an invisible thing, but yeah. it's something that affects my life every day. Yeah. But having something that is so outwardly um, visible and has so much cultural baggage and weight around it and mm-hmm. a stigma around it, yes. right? For so much of, especially North American history. Like, oh, hugely. Yeah. Huge. Because it's funny enough, when I travel, my mom is always like, please be so careful. I am a single black female traveling to unknown places. And typically when I travel, I try to do it in the safe way possible. I either know someone who's there and I'm staying with them or I'm a kind of, I always try to be as safe as possible, but there have been times that, you know, here's funny. Here's, I call it reverse racism, but it was still racism. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, I was in Harlem with a white gentleman at the time and who I was dating, and we were just kind of because I needed to go to a black hair store. Okay, in in Calgary, we, we have some black hair stores, but in the states, it is definitely way more cheaper. And you know, I always bring back stuff. So we were in Harlem, and we we're walking arm in arm, or whatever. We we're chatting and just kind of minding our business. And I'm starting to notice something. I'm like, people are staring, mm. and I'm like, what? Okay, I'm just like, okay, maybe it was just like a random. We go into the store and stuff. People are kind of side eyeing us. And I was like, are you kidding me? Wow. I'm getting racism because I'm with a white guy. Are you kidding me? I'm like, and I felt like that was kind of a double standard because Mm. hate to say it, but I know so many black men who don't go for black women. They go for white women. So I felt it was just so strange that I was getting like super side eye and people were like, and we honestly, we went into this Caribbean food store next door to get some food to eat. 
because I love my Caribbean food and he hadn't eaten Caribbean food before. And everybody else, I heard the guy at the till say, oh, would you like a drink with that? Oh, here's a tray to stay. When we got up there, he's like, oh, I have a to-go bag ready for you. Didn't even ask us if we want a drink. What? Didn't ask if we were staying. He was just like, here's a to-go bag. I can, pack, I can put your stuff in a bag to go. Wow. And it was just like, I caught what? on in an instant. I'm like, okay, they don't want us to yeah, stay. We are not welcome here. Right. And I just flatly looked at him and said, no, we're staying. Can I have a tray to go sit down? And I was just like, I don't care what you think. This yeah. is my life. Yeah. You are not going to dictate what I do with my life. So that was kind of an eye opening experience for mm. me getting it the other way, you know, just like, what even from my own people I'm getting it like it doesn't wow. matter it almost doesn't matter now if you don't fit into someone's mold someone's box of what they think you should be yeah they're like no no we're just gonna write you off yeah and I'm like people we are we're all raised differently we all have different experiences so you just have to take me for who I am and where I'm at you just have to I'm sorry you're not gonna change me you could say whatever you want but I am who I am and I've had the experiences I've had. So let's just come together, treat each other with kindness and respect and take the person as face value. Why do you, why do you have to have your opinion in my life? Oh, drives me crazy. Yeah. Unless we're friends and you're like, hey, Des, I'm seeing something, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, but then there's a relationship there, too. Exactly. And there's a level of trust exactly. as well. Yeah. Not some random person who's telling me I need to leave their store because I can't sit here to eat your food. What? Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Life is full of surprises. I get surprised weekly, daily. I learn something new. So you just got to keep moving ahead and just being like, okay, fine. That's, that's a new one. All right. Mm -hmm. Just move ahead. So that's why it's kind of cool that, um, the Academy has funny enough have, has, as far as I know, yep. We've had four directors, four female directors for the Music Academy, which I think is pretty cool. That's, That's been cool. women running yeah. the Academy. And I'm the first black female. And I'm hoping that, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, there will be another black female. That would be so cool. Or an indigenous female or male or, you know, just yeah. I just think it's cool if that we as four women and the, the Academy has been around 30 plus years Yeah, yeah. that it's just so cool that we've just stuck with it. And I'm hoping to really make an impact, leave my mark in a good way, not in a bad yeah. way. Um, <laughs> and I hope that I can live through this pandemic, you know, as a leader and trying to put my best foot forward to make the Academy the best it can possibly be. Mm -hmm. And I'm really hoping that, you know, when people, you know, even myself, we're all kind of financially taking a huge hit the last few years in, uh, you know, small areas like look at the price of gas lately. Yeah, you know, we're all totally. taking a financial hit. And I just kind of hope for the for the history and moving forward, the legacy of the Academy, that it'll grow again and we'll have people able to value music lessons again. Like we talked about music education. Yeah. Exactly. Full believer, full yeah. circle here. Just like it, I'm a full believer, right? So many of my friends who are in all these other areas and businesses and stuff, they're all musicians, but you wouldn't know it because they're like executives and 
all the you know yeah. cook uh, chefs maybe and all in the- a more professional exactly or like societally professional type of environment mm-hmm. yeah so that's what I'm really hoping that I can leave a really cool legacy to move on that, you know, I've pushed it forward or taken it in a, in a cool direction, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I got, I got two more questions. I got sure. one just and this is something that, um, as I was thinking about what we could and what we should talk about, um, the word that came to mind was just perspective. Mm-hmm. And instantly, like, in my own mind, I'm thinking, you as a black woman have a very different perspective on world, on the world and reality and life than I do as a white man. Mm-hmm. Um, the perspective that you've gained from traveling all over the world has shaped who you are. The perspective that you've gained from living in so many different places, mm-hmm. like Yellowknife or down in New York or in California mm-hmm. or here in Calgary, mm-hmm. um, has shaped, has given you such a different perspective on life and maybe living situation or um, being a musician, but then also being in so many professional settings has given you a lot of perspective on different areas. Maybe what is what would you say that the word perspective means to you? Ooh, good question. Perspective. Wow, that's a good question, JMO. Just in the fact that we all come from different experiences and different backgrounds, which gives us that different bit of outlook and that I have to make sure that with each person that I interact with in whatever setting that I'm in, we each have come at things with a different perspective. And sometimes you've got to put yours aside and have ears to listen. Mm. That is something that I feel that our society isn't doing well right now, is listening to other people, but not just listening to listen, but listening to understand. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like and listening to empathize. Exactly. Yeah. So when I'm in a situation with someone, I always try to remember that they're coming at it from a different perspective, a different understanding, or maybe they don't have all the facts, or maybe I don't have all the facts. Right. Yeah. So just sitting and listening and hearing and understanding, that has been the number one thing that I'm trying to move through and go through every in every situation that I'm in, especially, you know, in my jobs, you know, because when you're dealing with whether it be clients, vendors, parents, students, whoever they are, they're coming at a different perspective and you've got to always put your, yours aside. Yours comes secondary. Mm, that's good. You know? Yeah. And I, I have really valued that. And I just right now realizing that I've gained that from my mother. Cause my mom does that at her work. You know, she always puts her, whatever she is to the side and she tries really hard to understand And then sometimes she's like, wow, she tries to explain things. And then if somebody doesn't understand or they're just like doing the opposite of what she's doing, they're just like blowing it off. She's like, no, no, no. I'm trying to give you the steps so that you do understand where I'm coming from, from my position. Yeah. And, and your mom works in the healthcare industry, which again, right now during COVID, like I cannot imagine. Not just healthcare. She works for two surgeons Yeah, and she has gone in every single day that she is like, I commend my mother. For getting up every single day, going to the children's hospital, 
and just being that face going in and helping parents through some of the hardest times of their mm-hmm. life, dealing with their kids and having surgery. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. Couldn't imagine. Right. But yeah, like being able to see other people so frequently in the situation that they're in really helps you get into their shoes exactly. and actually see life from their perspective, exactly. for lack of a better word, obviously. Exactly. And yeah. actually one situation I don't think I've actually told you about was when I was working at an environmental consulting company, I had probably one of the best bosses on the planet. He was based in Cal- he was based in Calgary and in Vancouver. He flew back and forth and he was a senior VP and he was just this incredible, incredible man. I had so much respect for him. Mm. And when the day that I quit, we cried and he's like, I don't want you to leave. You've been probably one of the best EAs I've ever had. And it was about that time. I think it was about three weeks out from when I was going to be done work. Cause I was actually going down to California to do my master's right. or at least attempt to start. That's when I found out that he was gay. I had no clue, no clue. And I said to him, you know what? I didn't need to know that because that's your personal life. And but in the fact that that doesn't define who you are. Yeah. He was it, he was just such an incredible human being that I'm like that doesn't taint or say anything. I'm like, "Great. I'm yeah, like, like, let what, me send a card you to your partner." What you do in the privacy of your room of your own home, like that's your business. It doesn't again, like it like you said it doesn't define you. It exactly. doesn't define who you are as a person. That's a big component, sure. Yes. And again, like it's not something that he ever would have um flagrantly displayed. Right. It's not something that was necessary for you to to have a working relationship. Exactly. Exactly. It had nothing to do with work. Yeah. And it didn't taint what I thought about him. I actually had more respect for him because I'm just like, Hmm. man alive, you were just and it's not like people didn't know. It just wasn't like this is not my most important thing. Yeah. He just showed that he was an incredible boss. He was great. He was amazing at his job. He knew what he was doing. He had spent decades doing this job and perfecting what he did. And he became like, I think he still is. I think he's probably retired now, but he was like one of the top people in his industry and people respected him. And I love that about him because I had a certain perspective of him and something changed. And, you know, some of the closed minded stuff that I grew up with, you know, I put aside and been like, you know what? that doesn't change who I think about you. I still think you're the most amazing person and I have so much respect for you. And I love you as a boss because he treated me with so much respect and he did the same with me because he found out later on that I had been raised in, you know, somewhat of a strict family, you know, like grandparents and stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and we really had this great conversation and I was just like, wow, this looks, look what happens when you put yourself aside and you open yourself up to listen and to understand another human being. Yeah. And that's what I just. And to see the world from their perspective. Exactly. To see the world through their eyes and in their shoes. Exactly. Yeah. And it just, that has started from that conversation with, that I had with him. It just catapulted me into always putting aside what I think that I this person should do. And granted, I am not perfect. I've got some friends who are probably like, Des, whatever you do. It's like, yes, I am not perfect. I am a work in progress. And I hope that I'm always a work in progress for the rest of my life. Because I always want to be learning, always want to be moving forward, always trying to do better and to be a better person to X, Y, Z, to different things in my life. I always want to do better and be better. That's just what I want to do in my life. 
is to leave that legacy that people are like, wow, like how I think about my old boss. He was an incredible human being. Yeah. I want people to think that of me because he was such a great example of putting everything aside and just look, this is it. This is me. This is me. This is me. Sorry. <laughs> the consummate musician. <laughs> yeah. And we're back. Mm-hmm. Um, what's one thing you wish people understood about your life and your perspective and your experiences? Hmm. Don't judge a book by its character. That's what I would say. Because my life, I have, I honestly believe that I have lived like three or four different lives. I have done so much in my life that most even my good friends don't know about because I just don't bring it up. Um, A lot of the different things in my life have shaped and changed me and made me who I am. Mm. Um, Just understand that even though you, for me personally, you think you know me, but you probably don't. You probably don't. Because uh, a lot of people don't know that I lost my dad at 14. Some people just hear this story, but a lot of people, now you'll know. Mm-hmm. It was a three year, it was three years that my dad was dying. He recovered, was in remission, and then he got, he was diagnosed with cancer again. So, that portion of my life changed the trajectory of, I want to say direction and trajectory. <laughs> the <laughs> trajectory. <laughs> We're just inventing new words. Yes, making new words. Yeah. It changed who I was, who I was going to be, who my dad wanted me to be. Hmm. It completely changed who I thought that I wanted to be into somebody that I think now, I think this is who I was always meant to be. And granted, I would much rather have my dad here in my life being 71 years old. I would love to have him here because that's how old he would have been this year. But I think I've had to really learn a lot about myself. And he was somebody that I would lean on too much instead of figuring out things on my own. I just, you know, ask him, oh, he just kind of like fix this problem for me. And it wasn't his to fix. It was for me to walk through and to go through the pain and to find a solution and grow. I think I was afraid to grow when I was around him because I was just like, oh, dad's here. He's got it for me. I don't have to worry about it. So when you think you know who I am, I would say you probably only are scratching the surface of who I am. And I hope that I will inspire people to get to know me better to sit down and have a conversation with me. Um, I think people have perspectives of me. They're like, oh, this is who she is. Mm. And it's like, I can guarantee you, I will break that mold. Because I've always been that kid. I've been that kid that will break that mold. I will not, I am not your conventional person. I am, I think differently. I rationalize differently. But I think we all do. Yeah. And I do not like to be put in a box. That's one thing I really appreciate about, appreciate about our friendship is that you see everything from such a different lens than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also 
way more willing to like call me out on my on my stuff, you know, when when stuff's going on. Um, and the again, like the perspective that I've gained just from being friends with you for so long has totally changed my perception of the world too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would I would definitely agree. Yeah, like don't judge a book by its cover. No, don't. Because I don't think you know that book. Yeah. Because I'm always rewriting the pages. I'm always scratching things out and rewriting it. You might tear a few out, too. But. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you don't need to know about any of that. No. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, Des. This was great. You're welcome. It was super fun. Anytime. Yeah. Anytime. Love to have you back on again, and we can just, like, hash out anything else too because i've lived so many lives yeah <laughs> i probably you've, have more that i could share you've had your thumb in in a lot of pies yes over I have. the years so, yeah yes i have cool. thanks for having me no thank you it's awesome there we go thanks so much des for having this chat it was it was really good i know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it so thank you for sitting down and uh, just hanging out with me um, if you enjoyed this episode, leave me a review, again, over on iTunes, or send me a message. Uh, I'd love to hear what you thought about it, um, what you maybe learned from it, or some perspective of your own that you gained from this chat. Um, also, head over to unexpectedexperts.com. I've got links over there for my Instagram. I've got links there for Patreon. I've got links there for an email, and all the episodes that I've done are in a player there on the website so everything unexpected experts is over there on the website unexpectedexperts.com thank you again so much for listening share this episode with somebody you love and we'll see you next time on the unexpected experts podcast